Hey family, this is Jonathan Soul. Stand by, let me power up this engine right quick. See, what you gotta understand is space is black. It's black, it's vast, and it's full of life. Here on JonathanSoul.com, what we do is we explore blackness in the form of comics, sci-fi, mystery thrillers, science fiction and fantasy, basically. I interview writers, illustrators, publishers, actors, filmmakers from the African, African-American, the global black community and see what kinds of dimensions, worlds, civilizations they're building. So put your seatbelt on, engage your gravity boots, make sure there's an airtight seal on your suit. And let's ride in three, in two, in one. I got the honor and privilege of bringing you not only an artist, but a visionary. Somebody who has taken, I would say, uh, the steampunk genre and mixed it with some shrimp and grits. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Tim Fielder. What's going on, sir? How you feel, man? Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. And shrimp and grits are good. <laughs> so uh, I started out that way because, you know, I've, I've been through Maddie's Rocket, you know, several times. Um, and the one thing that, that is, it strikes me other than the art, and we'll get into all of that, is why you chose to deal with the, I don't know, I, antediluvian is not the right term, but you deal with like the, the sharecropper era, the deep south era. It's almost like you took like pre-civil rights era and mixed it with Flash Gordon. How in the heck did you come up with that kind of vibration? Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for asking that question. You're literally the first interviewer to ask that question. Mm. Um, I'm from Mississippi. I, I grew up literally across the street from a cotton field. Wow. Okay. I grew up around sharecroppers. I grew up around people, you know, I, I never worked in a cotton field, but my older brothers did until my parents say, y'all can't do cotton, pick cotton anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, so I'm, that's the environment I come from. At the same time, I grew up on a junior college campus. Okay. So there was that juxtaposition of the old South, and then this this kind of educating your way up mm -hmm. out your existence that was there was that tension that existed in both worlds. You grew up in a crossroads, really. I grew up a few miles from Fry's Point, uh, Mississippi, uh, Mississippi, and my brother dated Robert Johnson's granddaughter. So yes, I grew up uh, in the crossroads, uh, <laughs> if you want to say that. I'm thinking uh, culturally speaking, and when I think no, of I, higher I, I, education. Uh, in this I went to I did, my elementary school was Friars Point Elementary. I went to school. Wow. Yeah. I so, got yeah. you. Yeah. Now, there are those who would debate better whether or not that's real or not. But, you know, I, I don't know if it was real, but I certainly could walk to it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to do Maddie's Rocket because, yes, a number of brothers and sisters migrated from the south to the north. Mm -hmm. But... There were a lot of us who stayed down south. Mm. And I wanted to do a story that both paid homage, homage to those folks, paid homage to my grandmother, who was this very elegant, beautiful woman, my godmother, my mother, uh, all those women who I grew up around who carried themselves, even in the harshest of conditions, with a certain level of dignity, mm -hmm. uh, uh, despite you know the, the obviously rancid uh, 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 um, patriarchy that was there, they still had about themselves certain level of polish, mm -hmm. and 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 also a revolutionary thought about them. Hmm. And I wanted to do a story that would have been done if things were slightly different. Mm -hmm. When they were little girls. So, so I said, man, I wonder when my mom, who was born in the 30s, 
if a comic book or a movie had come out in the 40s and Oscar Michelle somehow stumbled into, you know, uh, at that time, $200,000, he wanted to do a B-movie right. science fiction, what would it have looked like? Wow. Okay. Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Thank you. Now it, it makes sense. Okay. That's what I call it. Wow. Say that again. Retro Afrofuturism. That's what I call it. And I wanted to do something that paid homage to those people, my mom, my dad, all those brothers who were doing things, you know, it's like, you know, we kind of take it for granted, you know, right now what we do mm-hmm. in today's climate. But, you know, back then you do that stuff, it gets you killed. Right. You know, and I had that, but also had the rocket ships and mm-hmm. also had the ray guns, but also had the clan in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what it is. And that's what I've done with Matthew's Rockets. <laughs> now uh, I have in my possession uh, the floppy, which is issue yeah. one of Maddie's Rock. But you you yeah. took it up to another level. You uh, if y'all can't see it, but uh, Tim is flashing the graphic novel. How many pages is it, Tim? One hundred and twenty pages. Woo! Uh, I collected all three issues of Maddie's Rocket and put on a nice long. 12-page epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm proud to say that um, I've had some wonderful collaborators on this project. Uh, Juno Diaz, the Pulitzer Prize winner, wrote my cover blurb, mm-hmm. and he loved it, uh, which was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a 250-pound black man, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got that email, and, you know, I sent it out three weeks earlier. I said, you know, Mr. Mr. Diaz, I, I so respect your work, and I'm wondering if, if you would read my book. I, I'm looking for a cover blur, but yeah. I know you rarely give out such things. But if you would, I would greatly appreciate it. So, you know, a week past, two week past, it, it goes from your mind because you're thinking, oh, this guy would never bother with me. Right. And it comes in and my wife comes to the room, baby, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I'm thinking, Mr. Diaz likes my book. <laughs> it, it was, it was incredible. That's That's yes, beautiful. it was, it was one of those things where, uh, it, you ever done, have you ever done something where you're even, you know, you, you know, you want to do it, mm-hmm. not certain if you're doing it the way you need to be doing it. Because, you know, when you're doing this whole print on demand grind thing, it's hard. Right. And you're wondering if, you know, is it worth it? But then when you receive that type of email, you know, oh, that's why I'm doing it. Mm. It's something that's supposed to transcend. Maddie's Rocket transcends my petty stuff. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. once it's out there, I've had women come up to me. And I know they think I'm crazy, you know, because, you know, partially I am. But they, they come up to me and they begin to express to me something about that they see in the book. Mm-hmm. that I don't consciously or I certainly didn't consciously put in there, but they're taking something from the book that perhaps, I, I don't want to be uh, uh, arrogant, but they find something in it that rings true for them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, dude, what you want? What yeah. you want? You know what I mean? You want your comic, you want your story to connect with an audience. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I've been doing, and and uh, I'm so grateful. Uh, I this book is a labor of love. You familiar with Dan Dare? Dan Dare, no. Yeah, Dan Dare was done by Frank Hampson. It was a book um, from uh, I think it was Eagle Comics, and uh, Frank Hampson did this comic. Uh, the concept design for it was done by Arthur C. Clarke. It was done in the '50s. It's one of the most popular British comics of the 20th century. And the cool thing about it, it had this kind of retro aesthetic, mm-hmm. but it was always grounded in science. Okay. And I remember being, you know, you know, a young boy, you know, because I, as myself being the youngest of four siblings, I didn't really have a choice to choose what entertainment was. There was, you know, you know, basically, you know, hey, can we do this? No, shut up. Listen to this or read this. <laughs> right, right. So I was the only one who stayed a comic book artist, but um, I remember Dan Dan. And I remember Star Wars, and I wanted to 
they pick people that look like you and me. Mm-hmm. In those environments, with the broad noses, the big lips, the you know, well, in my case, the receding hairline. You know, right, right, right. I don't have that problem, brother. I got that problem. But, <laughs> Trust you know, me, brother. I, I had it well though. <laughs> no, no, you good. You good, man. You good. You you good. You only got the gray in the beard. Me, I got it all <laughs> over. You know. But I wanted to do something that that you could look at and feel like you see somebody who, you're reading something. You're not just reading it. You're seeing something that you know that the person who was doing it, they gave a 1,000. Yeah. They gave 1,000. That's what I, because I'm trying to connect not just with just casual comic book readers. Mm-hmm. But young readers, I'm also trying to, there's a, think about it. There's an entire segment of our populace that's basically been neglected with, with stories. That's why, you know, think about it. why are we losing our minds over Black Panther? Because that's like a big thing for us. Right. That's a big thing. Wow. We have a, you know, last time we had that type of thing was what, Blade 2? 2002, 2003 or something maybe? Yeah. Right? That was a long time ago. So for us, this is a huge deal. And it's a huge deal because we're underrepresented within that space. But in comics, we're there. We're very much there, and I'm proud, really proud to be a part of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, uh, your your uh, passion and your love and all the kind of stuff that you put into the book definitely comes through. Um, there was a time, you know, when I first read the book, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was reading through it and everything, and I was admiring like the almost like a silent screen kind of style, you know, like <laughs> film, amazing, you know, kind of style that you had in there and everything. And uh, the pacing of the story was heavy because, you know, I'm not going to give everything away because I want folk to buy the book. And as a matter of fact, if you want to buy the book, they got to go where, Tim? They have to go to www.dieselfunk.com. And you don't spell it like no funky black way, do you? Do you spell it the regular English way? You know how we do. No Y's, X's, or Q's in it. L-F-U-N-K.com and just click on the store link. Or if you're lazy, just go to dieselfunkstore.com. There you go. There you go. And uh, so I'm reading this book, and uh, you know, she's counting. There's one in, in the first uh, section, you know, two, you know, she's counting down, getting ready to launch or whatever. And at the same time, there's like a uh, another sequence that she's remembered from the past of her, you know, meeting her father, you know, seeing her father return home from work or whatever. And yep. it was kind of pairing the two. And uh, I tell you, man, all of a sudden, in my place, I don't know, the window might have been open. It got real dusty in here. You know what I mean? I had to get, I had to flick the dust out of my eyes. You understand? Just because it was so dusty. I don't, it had nothing to do with the book, of course. But it was just got so dusty once I got to the part about her launching and connecting with her father. So you've done a real service, brother. I, I ain't going to lie to you. Uh, Thank you've you. done a real service. Thank you for saying that. Uh, you know, I, I don't get a chance to, to hear feedback much. Yeah. And uh, thank you. Because, you know, in fact, a a significant number of the people who give me feedback of the ones that do are normally young children or they're women. Mm. And you're the first person to actually connect that I'm hearing Mm -hmm. for someone who I don't know. Of course, my father connected to him, my my brother connected with him, that understood what I was trying to do with that, that girl's father. Yeah. That's I wanted, and and, and and I don't want to give anything away, but right, this right. this story is about a woman's relationship with her parents. Mm. That's what. Yeah, I think, I, and I got to tell you, man, I, I feel like that that kind of uh, narrative needs more attention. Uh. Recently, there was an election, you know, mm-hmm. down at Alabama and Ray Moore against this uh, Don Jones guy, whatever. And, you know, Ray Moore, as far as I'm concerned, is a devil, whatever. And mm-hmm. when the when the exit polls, things happen, they said black women say, but black women. And this is how the white media does it. 
Black women came out 97%, black men 92 is a 5% difference. No, no, we were 94, sir. Get it right. 94. 94. Okay, thank you, 94. Yeah. No, so instead of saying black people, right. they said black women. Right. And, and, you know, that's just a small example, but the other, the other little things, but there's yeah. an effort to kind of subtly kind of divide sure. kind of thing. But the, the, the idea of the father being in the home, the father kind of being that, you know, that foundation mm-hmm. is missing in our myths because that's what these are. You know what I mean? I mean, the reason why Thor and Odin and all that kind of stuff is attractive is because they're based on myth. They're just a retelling of old myths. And because of the, you know, Atlantic slave trade and everything, a lot of our myths were taken. So we could do what any people would do. You create new ones. That's right. And that's and that's that's what diesel funk, that's the vibration, that's the new renaissance that's happening right now is African American people not it's not even just America, it's all over. I talked to brothers in uh two outfits in Nigeria, uh husband and wife team in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh one of my first interviews was a brother from Canada, like all over the planet, mm-hmm. black people are creating myths and everybody is supporting us. Is that what you're finding when you when you go out and and you're sitting at the table and everything? Do you feel like everybody's supporting you? I mean, talk to me. Uh, well, you know, it's it, that's um, I would say yes in general. Okay. Uh, but it's an interesting thing that I'm starting to notice, hmm. and I can't speak for anyone else because I'm an advocate for. I've said it before on panels that. You know, uh, you know, there's this whole quality thing that comes up, you know, okay. well, you know, comics should be the quality level should be this or the quality level should be that in terms of the art or the storytelling. And, you know, I'm a proponent for, you know, just do your comic. Right. Don't matter. Just do it. Do what you can do. Mm-hmm. And I believe that because I believe you don't get better till you just start doing. It. Right. And, and, I, and I spent a long time not understanding that. I understand it now. Mm-hmm. But it, it's how can I say I I think it is important that you put your heart into your work. Mm. You put your heart into your work. Generally, those people who have shared experiences mm-hmm. will connect with it. Right. But what I found is if you put your heart into your work by default. The people who share experiences with you will connect with it, but folks who have nothing to do with it will share. Right. And that is what started to happen. Uh, I'm when I go to convention, like I was at SoulCon, okay, uh, which is uh, uh, by a Professor uh, Frederick Aldama, John Jennings uh, put that event together. At, uh, I think the Ricardo Padilla was involved with it too. I think he's one of the founders. And they did it at Ohio State University, just seeing the fusion of all these different people from Latino or Latinx, whatever they want to call it these days. Right. Black cartoonists, white cartoonists, uh, transgender cartoonists, young, old, like myself. Everybody was just there doing their thing. And, and if you bring the fire, mm-hmm. you bring the fire people will, will generally migrate towards the war. That's my belief. Okay. If that makes sense. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. I always tell the story about the uh, Black Comic Night. Mm-hmm. So uh, years ago, I was art director, and mm-hmm. uh, I stayed at um, stayed on Sunset Strip, I think, and I, was, I went to the comedy store or something, mm-hmm. and uh, it was Black Comics Night. So I expected to see, you know, a whole bunch of black people or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And in the corner, mm-hmm. giggling, hee-heeing, like everybody else is who, Timothy? I don't know. On Black Comics Night. All I, black comics are up in the back. I, of the, It's you in the corner, but everyone else is white. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It's always what I consider the hip white people in the corner, in the back. You know what I mean? You mentioned uh, uh, Black Panther uh, off air when we first uh, connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go on YouTube and look at reactions, mm-hmm. it's damn near as many white folks reacting to Black Panther as black people. You know what I mean? So this is, 
different than Fishbone. They, yeah. they give a, 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 a black rock group. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you go in there. Yeah, they, they this dudes are doing hard, bad brains type style mm-hmm. music, but you know, the audience is sometimes predominantly white. But you know, I don't. I, I'm gonna tell you why I don't worry about that so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you know, the the reality is, is we live in better times than folks did a hundred years ago. Yeah. That's just fact. Right. And uh, you know the upcoming Black uh, Comic Book Day, Schumberg, uh, created by what uh, Deidre Hallman, Jerry Craft, I'm a, a, a John Jennings. I'm gonna get my butt kicked by forgetting that. I believe it's Jonathan Gales. I believe uh, I could be wrong, but I believe that's it. Uh, but that space. Anyone mm-hmm. who says that we don't support our comics, uh-huh. that aren't creators, all they got to do is walk their butts down to the Schumberg. Hmm. And that's been going on now for, uh, I think it's the fifth year at the Schomburg, but it went on for a year or two before that. I think maybe a year, I don't, I'm not sure. But that event, trust me, there are people who come from all over to just vent at that event. I'm not even talking about the audiences. And I'm talking about we're there. Brothers and sisters are, sisters are there. Wow. And they're there to buy comics created by stories about us. Mm-hmm. And you got, you know, people are like, well, what's it like? I like, you, you ever seen The Walking Dead? Yeah. Where the zombies, the zombie horde is coming at you? Mm-hmm. I said, well, they don't want to eat your flesh. They want the comics. Wow. To such an extent that I take my time to try to draw a drawing in every book I sell. Mm-hmm. People were getting angry with me because I was taking too long to draw because wow. they wanted to get the book and get to the next. Wow. That's about that event. I think what uh, Ronaldo Anderson is doing with B. Sam is great. Uh, 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 you know, of course, Eggback Brothers are still going. They're still doing their thing. Uh, 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 JW down in Atlanta still doing his thing. It's just there are a lot of events out there. Uh, uh, Motor City, you know, that are we're out there and we do support our works. I just believe what's starting to happen is as the general book industry is starting to mature, that brothers and sisters, if they're smart, will just kind of adjust to that hmm. does that make sense what i'm saying uh, i think so uh let me let me let me ask you a question to further elucidate mm-hmm. have we reached there is a critical mass if it uh-huh. wasn't uh the audience of this show wouldn't be so powerful no question but have we reached a tipping point where like you said that the, the casual comic like have we reached out beyond the con audience have we reached that tipping point yet no, we're not. We, we're, no, we have not. We have okay. not. And I'll explain to you why. Um, I, I've had my book because I, I print my books in my own shop. So you, you draw, you write, you print and distribute your own book. Yes. Wow. Uh, and I decided to do that because I was tired of hearing no. I was tired of hearing no from editors. I was tired of hearing no from publishers. I was tired of hearing no. Now, you still have to hear no. But you can ignore them. Wow. You know, just like they can ignore you. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm not trying to keep anybody from doing their thing. I just don't want to be kept from doing my thing. Right. Uh, now, as to your question, uh, I think that the notion of the, the types of stories mm-hmm. that can be told. Uh, can expand. We, we barely touched the surface of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Think about it. It's, it's like when you deal, for example, like with Afrofuturism. I know we didn't, we don't have long, so I'll try to speak quick. Take your time, man. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, 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 but for example, when you deal with the idea of what Mark Derry uh, 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 coined the phrase Afrofuturism, before that it was called Black Sci-Fi, right? Black Science Fiction. And there was a documentary done by Terrence Francis called Black Sci-Fi had Michelle Nichols in it, had Chip Delaney in it, had uh, Steve Barnes in it, Octavia Butler. And I've never seen the documentary, 
And people will say, well, why are you so interested in seeing that documentary? It's because I was in the documentary. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, I was in the documentary. We're talking about 1991, 92. Wow. So that was and, around the time of the black arts renaissance when I became aware yeah. in Philly with the Black Expos and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Absolutely. Oh, Lord, I wish the Black Expo was still going like it was. But anyway, we'll get to that. Right. Please, Black Expo, come back. Anyway, <laughs> I know they're around, but, you know, I hope they can get back to that thing they had. Yeah. But uh, how should I say? The, there, there was an over... Because the material was more polished, frankly. And out there, it's just a really a, a, a focus on written Afrofuturism, hmm. and less of a focus on the visual Afrofuturism. And if you did touch on the visual Afrofuturism, very often it kind of shared a through line with fine art. It was abstract. You, you know, it could go either way. It could be science fiction, or it could just be straight up abstract art. You can, you know, it could be whatever. You know, it could be very esoteric. But straight, when you're dealing with spaceships, science fiction concepts, action adventure, uh, gender displacement, uh, 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 time displacement, those type of things with black characters in there, there's, there wasn't a ton of focus on the visual component. So you can have a story that's been written for years on that fact. But when you start moving to the visual, you're talking about a completely different way of telling Either the same story or a similar story. Because the visual, the way of you're communicating visual, you know, particularly in graphic novels or even film, is you're communicating with multiple senses. You're dealing with the auditory and you're dealing with the visual. You understand? Because when you read, your brain is sending a sound to your earlobe. That's why your brain can detect what's happening when you're reading those characters. So are you saying that the introduction of the art to the to the the futurism uh, component will help expand the audience? Is that what you're saying? My, my friend, what I'm saying is that you and I will be worm food before we even begin to crack this nut. Wow. There are so much stuff to deal with. Uh, my uh, one of my siblings is is uh, this multi-dimensional artist and he is a uh, I guess the manager of this young lady who's just transgender, a uh, young lady named India Moore. My brother Boston Fielder uh, is 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 her manager, and she's in this show that was just announced uh, on the FX channel called Pose. And dude, she, she's a black woman, you know, transgender, and she's in this TV show, something like that. Five years ago, pre-Orange is the New Black would have been unthinkable. Hmm. Now, the same concept was kind of dealt with a little bit in Chip Delaney's Titan, where you had that kind of people who were actually moving their gender back and forth in a science fiction environment. Because, you know, Samuel Delaney is, is, is unafraid and has been unafraid for decades to deal with a lot of stuff that, you know, elements of the black community would have issues with. But he dealt with it because that's what great writers do. They deal with stuff that's sometimes uncomfortable. And I'm saying that we have, we've already started to tell our stories, but we have gotten into the media. Okay. We're about to. I think our kids are some lucky suckers, man. Hmm. They're lucky. They're going to see that science fiction with that black lead. Uh, with the just just a sprinkling of machismo in it, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? but he's got the, he's got the guns and he's got the the the, the moves, you know. But mm -hmm. it's not trite, and it's done with a level of sophistication. The type of things that you and I, our generation, we've been just waiting for, mm -hmm. and, and and you know, I intend to try to do that character, and I think those characters are being done. You know, okay. you go by Schomburg this weekend, and that's what's there. Absolutely. Okay. Wow. wow. Um, we, we, we're talking, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the wonderful, the talented. Mr. Fielder was basically telling us that we just are scratching the surface of what I'm calling this, uh, this African art renaissance. That's what I'm calling it. And uh, that's, that's interesting uh, because I was there in Philadelphia 
in 90, let me see, I got there in 91. And around 92, 93, 94 is when I became aware of that renaissance. I, I think it happens with black people in America every 30 years. And I remember going into a convention center and felt like I was in another world. Um, black families everywhere, sculptures, paintings that look like photographs, comics, of course, novels. And did you have any experience uh, with this back in the 90s, Tim? Uh, yes, uh, but that primarily came through, you know, because obviously it wasn't in Mississippi. Right. That, okay. that was uh, coming to New York was, I guess what, I'd gone to Jackson State. I went there for a year and a half. Uh, this was 84, 85. Mm-hmm. And then I worked in an art store for about six years. Mm-hmm. And I decided I would go to School of Visual Arts in New York. Okay. And that was this year, 30 years ago. Wow. Okay. I went to New York formally January 7th. Uh, uh, well, 31 years old, uh, January 7th, 1987. Okay. Uh, and to be in that environment uh, at that time, seeing these the, the multitude of colors and cultures, mm-hmm. seeing uh, black folks being pretty damn unapologetic yeah. about who they were, or if they were apologetic, they were certainly uh, apologizing with style. Okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, that it was wonderful to be a part of that to the extent that I was as a cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, you know, being there, you know, as as a you know, because in my career, I started as an editorial cartoonist. Okay. And so a lot of the time when hip hop was just kind of hitting its ground in terms of coming up in the media around 87, 88, moving to yo MTV raps, I was doing a lot of editorial cartoons with his voice. Uh, and so just being around that environment, being a lot around a lot of music, a lot of, uh, black, uh, Afro punk music before they call it Afro punk, mm-hmm. it was, you know, you know, we were Afro punks, but we didn't, we didn't know that's what it was. Right. Uh, that's the type of thing I was around being around the, um, African street festival. Okay. Oh, I love the, oh man, that was awesome. Yeah. And like, you know, yeah. oh, God, you know, cause keep in mind in Mississippi, there are not that many black folks. What? White people. Because I thought pop- Mississippi was brimming with black people. It is, but it's a small populace. Okay. It, you know, you, you don't have, you think about it. You have 10 million people in New York City alone. Mm-hmm. So oh, you, yeah, I, I got you drive I got you. in Mississippi in a car and drive for 10 minutes and not see a soul. Wow. It's because, sure, in Jackson, Mississippi, you have a two, 300,000 mm-hmm. population. But in New York City, that could be within the space of a city block. Hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Depending upon where you are, you know, you go to, to around the Empire State Building, you literally could be within a five block five block radius, three four hundred thousand people, easy, a million okay. people. You know, because there's just so many people in the city. It's such a mass of humanity. So, black people have made their way in all kinds of environments mm-hmm. and our job or at least i can't project on anyone else i'm going to say myself is my job particularly now at this point in my life to devote the rest of it just to telling those stories in sequential art form it could be graphic novels mm-hmm. it could be film, it could be animation but that's my focus right now now i'm on uh dieselfunkstore.com dieselfunk d-i-e-s-e-l funkstore.com I see you got the uh, the print graphic novel, you got the digital, and then of course you got the floppies mm-hmm. and everything, digital and print. Um, yeah. When you uh, go about uh, laying out plots and stories, does uh, current events ever uh, enter in, or is it you know uh, like you said the this Afro retro futurism? Yeah, I, I would say they always do, uh, okay. and and also understand that I'm I'm a, a guy with with children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not children anymore. They're grown. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but like, the youngest is like 17, so they're like, yeah, they're out of here. You know, as soon as they're out of here, I'm roaming the earth, Jack. But uh, it's one of those things where I am projecting my own experience uh-huh. 
as an African-American man, father, artist, you know, in the story. But I'm also taking things from other people I know. There are times when I embed other political events into the story, uh, particularly doing retro Afrofuturism. I'm having to take history and kind of plug it in to a kind of alternative history because Maddie's Rocket doesn't take place in the 1930s, 1940s as we remember. It Mm -hmm. takes place after the Earth has been invaded by Uh, Eden. Right. The first invasion. That's right. The first (laughs) invasion. You still have, uh, uh, you know, you still have Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. Still have the Klan. It's just that the Klan's run by the occasion they fly in a spaceship. Wow. Wow. things the reason I- the reason why I ask is because mm-hmm. I mean who could have designed a better villain in in a comic than like a, a Trump character I, I wonder if he would ever appear in your in your stories this kind you know, of demagogue <laughs> kind of uh figure Jamie Broadnax uh sent out a notice about how uh characters could combat Trump uh-huh. Uh, I don't know whatever happened with that movement, but I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like a great idea. So I actually drew a picture of Maddie punching Donald Trump. So I will make sure to send that to you uh, uh, before we finish here. Uh, that would be cool. Absolutely. I will do that. It's never been used, so feel free to use it however you want. And I, uh, I'll use that on the, uh, I, I'll put that on the little uh, iTunes cap. So you, if you do that, you've really completed a circle because the aliens. Right. Captured his base. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you know, but that's the thing, you know, because I don't, just particularly in terms of what's been happening in that situation with this new book that's come out. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and I don't want to talk too much about it to date. You know, I don't want to date the, the interview and that type of thing. But uh-huh. I would say that we live in interesting times. So when Dave Chappelle says that, that that Trump is the lie that may save us all. Hmm. Meaning that what he was implying, because he was talking about, and I don't want to ruin it for people who who haven't seen it yet, but we're talking about that black people have traditionally had to do things that entail very tough decisions. Mm-hmm. We have to sacrifice a lot. We're still sacrificing a lot. And sometimes you're having to do things that are sometimes difficult to reconcile within a kind of nuclear family morality type situation. Okay. But you make that sacrifice for the greater good. Hmm. And uh, uh, when you think about how this guy got in office, what he did to get there, and what many millions of other people did, kind of holding their nose when they pulled the plug for him. Right. You know, it's like you you were not just voting against your best interest. You were voting, voting against the world's best interest. And it could literally end in a bad way to where, you know, it's like, you remember that movie with uh, Vigo Mortensen called The Road where there were cannibals and people walk. And like that's what we're talking about. It's like, yo, let's you know what I mean. People in mm-hmm. Alabama are smart. They get what Roy Moore was about. Mm-hmm. They get that, you know. So of course, people are gonna come out and say, well, let's let's not concede because there were you know there were there's supposedly not that many black people. I'm like, no, we're there. Right. I'm from next door to Alabama. I'm from Mississippi. We're everywhere, mm-hmm. and if we are compelled, we will turn out in droves and vote. For our best interest, right, and that's what that's that's what that is, and and I think my intent as an artist, uh, you know, I'll leave it to some folks to to do the more uh, bloody stuff, but my job as an artist is to take that spirit of what I was mentioning and make us look good while we're doing it. In the uh, interview that I had with uh, John Jennings, I believe it was 2016. I was talking about how, you know, uh, and of course I'm focusing in on, you know, comics and sci-fi for for black people. Mm -hmm. 
I was I was like, do you believe in the I was asking, do you believe in the idea of, you know, all art is propaganda? And yes. uh, I'll ask you the same question. Do you feel yeah. like all art is propaganda? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. There's, there's no question of that. All art is communication. Mm-hmm. Propaganda is communication. Now there's certain propaganda or you have the or I could say there's some propaganda that is benign. Mm-hmm. And some propaganda that's very malevolent. Okay. You know, and even whether or not prop, you know, art is good or bad is, you know, it's open to interpretation. There are certain underground artists who've won Pulitzer's before, mm-hmm. you know, who their art is almost regressive in certain ways. They would never stand in a quote-unquote mainstream superhero market. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like. For me, like the baddest mainstream cartoonist going out, white, black, red, green, and black, brown, is Ken Lashley. That mug, he can draw anything. You know, hmm. Ken Lashley is amazing. But What's his name again? Ken Lashley. Okay. There's a lot of X-Men stuff. Ken Lashley is great. This Canadian uh, brother and stuff. Um, Ken Lashley is amazing. You know, many that, there's some people like, well, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. Then you see Lashley like, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> you know, Lashley is like that. And he apparently is fast as hell. But anyway, Lashley is great. But but then you juxtapose it to someone like uh, Art Spiegelman. Sky's Project won a Pulitzer. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Mouse is brilliant. M-A-U-S. Mouse is brilliant. You know? And I think the different styles style somebody used to tell my students when they would come in and say, well you know i can't draw like this person i can't draw like that person i said doesn't you don't have to draw like this person Mm -hmm. because what you consider bad is simply your style Mm -hmm. all you do is refine your style and within your style your majesty of what you can do will rise above simply because you took what was given to you and you made it work a certain way. It's like, for example, Tiger Woods is a great golfer, mm-hmm. but I not want him to run, say, a nuclear power plant. I think he would suck at it. Okay. You know what I mean? So everybody has that thing that they do good. Uh, I guess when I when I asked you about propaganda, I wasn't necessarily talking about the quality of the art style. I was, for example, I keep flashing this. I don't have to do video soon because I got all these books. So I got Maddie's rocket in my hand, the floppy number one. And when I flip through and I'm thinking about this as propaganda, mm-hmm. what I'm seeing is uh, three messages that pop out immediately. One is the supremacy of the black family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie would have never survived if it wasn't for her family. Two mm-hmm. is the importance of the black father. The black father was her North star to escape you know, you know, the environment that she was in. That was, that was, that's my interpretation being a fan, you know, again, propaganda. And so, uh, and then three, of course, the whole idea of um, a black person being a protagonist, being an agent of change, with not being a sidekick, not being blind or half machine or less than a human, fully human. And at the same time, you know, being that agent of change. To me, those three points are very powerful. And you're only going to find those three. I've only found those three points in black created content. That's what I mean by propaganda. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. Well, well, okay. And, and and you put it beautifully. I would say the only thing I would do is add to it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to produce a comic with a black female lead that was not sexualized. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to show her with a midriff out. I never understand that. It's like, damn, you're going into battle. Why you got your stomach exposed like that? You know, yeah. what's, you know, the thigh highs, you know, your, your, your thighs exposed, you know, with your armor, you know, yeah, I know you got the cleavage, cleavage is cool, but you got to cover that up. What if they hit a blade or something like that? You know, right. it's having worked in the video game industry and the concept design industry, teaching concept designers, that, that's just something that they're taught. So I used to spend a lot of my time having to unteach them if you will, how to, to reprogram them to think 
about why is it that showing the idea of beauty, whether it be male or female beauty, is always broken down into impracticality when it comes to, you know, uh, things like warfare. <laughs> I don't get it. Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't make sense. So propaganda for me, just getting back to that point, um, is about telling the story you want to tell, but telling it in as iconic a fashion as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the, just a simple decision that all of my backgrounds are painted, mm. right? Even though I'm a hybrid artist, so I, I use a combination of 3D and 2D, right? But I always made sure the characters, I wanted them to be more flatly colored. They're mm -hmm. not over rendered. Gotcha. Because even though I wanted them to integrate into the environment, I still wanted them to stand out. Yeah, It's because I, I you know, I, I taught storyboards, uh, storyboarding for years. And people would always say, well, you know, who's your favorite, favorite filmmaker? I would ask them, and really, Scott, who's your favorite filmmaker? And I, you know, Tarantino is a big, big, uh, a real favorite. But then they would ask me, who's your favorite? I say, Steven Spielberg. Mm. And they're like, why? I said, because he is a master of the form. The same man that did Jaws mm -hmm. did Catch Me If You Can, oh, Saving Private okay. Ryan, mm -hmm. right? Schindler's List. This film I just saw the other day, A Bridge of Spies. Hmm. These films, he is a master. He understands how to communicate. Mm -hmm. That's all propaganda is. Yeah, it's, it's effective communication to deliver a point of view. Mm -hmm. I don't like to be too didactic in my work. I think it tends to pull away from it. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of things that you have the advantage of doing visually, like in, in writing or say in a written script or in dialogue that you deliver to an actor, stuff can tend to be didactic. So, but a lot of things that you can do visually, you can deliver without saying a word. Yeah. You can just show it. Yeah. That's what I try to do in my work. And if there's anything I wanted to communicate through Maddie's Rocket, it's almost like a love letter. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Love letter to those brothers and sisters who pay in blood mm -hmm. for me to be here. Yeah. But to say, you know, y'all never got that science fiction. You know, we, you and I, we take for granted. You know what I mean? That there was a Lando Calrissian. Right. Well, we take that for granted. That was a boom. You know, Boomer was black at first. He wasn't an Asian woman. You know what I mean? You know, we take that for granted. But our parents, it wasn't even a thought. Hmm. You know, and, and, you know, other than what two. Films, whether that's a son of Ngaji, you know, which is a old a horror slash sci-fi film done in the what forties or fifties. Mm -hmm. Don't really know of anything else, and and it's like, you know, we we we're not gonna necessarily die, Maddie's Rocket. Not mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? So it's a love letter. It's saying if you could see yourself, if this had been done when Mom was ten years old, mm -hmm. and she. She opened up a book. This is the one that they never gave you. I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah. Why are you here? I think you. I think you. You definitely are channeling uh, some spirits back there, man. When you're talking about old films, <clears throat> the film that came back to me was uh, Sweetback's Badass Song. Yep. That Mario. I was able to find on uh, VHS yep. tape back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, just talking about an agent of change and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not going to keep you too long, uh, Tim. I just wanted to, to end on a couple of points because my audience is mostly comprised of uh, content creators. And mm -hmm. then the, the other half is like avid indie comics fans. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned off mic uh, in your studio, you, you know, usually it's just your Cintiq in there, you said. Can you talk about your, the equipment that you use? Um, you know, you got a Mac, PC, Linux box. What are you, what are you using? Right, right. Well, to create the artwork, uh, I just use a standard Mac laptop, a Mac, uh, laptop. Uh, I need to upgrade. I'll probably upgrade in the next, uh, year or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have an older actually laptop and people might ask, well, why are you using an old laptop? I'm using an old laptop because I upgraded my laptop with a solid state drive. 
Okay. It's College State Drive, you know, it has no moving parts. Mm-hmm. So it's that bottleneck that's inherent in a basic Mac. Yeah. You know, you just drive through that. So I rarely have ever experienced uh, a slowdown on my unit. And when I do, it just needs, you know, I need to clean it, clean the drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I use that. I use a standard uh, 21 UX uh, Cintiq mm-hmm. for. Uh, for in the studio work, hope to be getting a 27 or a 30 soon. Wow. Uh, very soon, you know, because I, you know, I got to be vain with the in studio work, you know. Now, you question, have- let me interrupt real quick. Uh, I used to do a cartoon and I'm dabbling into it. My friends all got Wacom pads. Yeah, that's Would you, for, for novice like myself, as far as uh, drawing, would you, would you steer, steer them toward a Cintiq or a Wacom? Well, the Cintiq is made by Wacom. Okay. Okay. All right. So the, it's just, just the next level. It's a professional. Well, well, the, yeah. The the difference you're making, you're talking about the difference between an Intuos, which okay. does not have a drawing screen, mm-hmm. and a Cintiq. Ah. Uh, I tell folks, if you're going to start a young kid out mm-hmm. on a Wacom, get them an Intuos or a Bamboo. A Bamboo you can get for ninety nine bucks. Don't spend a lot of money on. Because once you go on a Cintiq where you have a drawing skill, you know, you're drawing right on the screen image, mm-hmm. you can never really go back. Wow. Okay. I'm telling you, you can. You can, but you're going to feel it. Mm. It's, on, it's, like, it's like the difference from, you know, you're driving, a, 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 you know, a, you remember those cars, the Gremlins? Yeah, back in the day, I remember. Yeah. And then someone puts you in a state-of-the-art Lamborghini. Okay. And then they put you back in the Gremlin. Hmm. You know, sure, you can drive the Gremlin, but you're going to feel the difference. Okay. Uh, uh, so a Cintiq is a very, very powerful tool. And uh, a lot of people are moving uh, to uh, the uh, iPad Pro. Okay. Uh, John Jennings and Stacy Robinson have recently adopted because they were like, yeah, man, what do you think? I like, y'all need to go for iPad Pro. You know, because wow. I roll with the Apple Pencil using AstroPad, mm-hmm. a lot of you run your laptop remotely. Okay. And uh, that bundled with Procreate, mm-hmm. uh, this app, is just, just phenomenal work. And you have the ability to record your drawing while you're doing it. Which I think is awesome for, like, YouTube videos and stuff. Dude, let me tell you. You know, uh, and which, of course, in my case, for my mobile work, I use the uh, Mobile Studio Pro. I think Chuck College uses one too. Uses okay. one as well. And uh, this same thing is just—it's basically a PC. Okay. So when I'm on the road or I'm out on the Diesel Funk show doing our glogging with my brother, like tomorrow we have to go and glog at the uh, at the uh, Barclays Center. We're going to be hopefully interviewing some uh, Brooklyn Nets. We have to get there. Okay. Before. Excellent. And excellent. I'll be drawing basketball players, and and that is something that. You can do when you have a mobile device that allows you to draw right on site. Okay. Uh, would you uh, suggest uh, professionals who may not be as deep in the industry as yourself, would you suggest that they go immediately for print their comics or, or should they go, you know, digital first? And, you know, like, uh, what would you suggest? Okay. So here's where I'm, uh, well, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily going to get in trouble. I'm just going to tell it truthfully. Uh, and I'll make it quick, but I'll use this analogy. Did you just see Bright with Will Smith? I uh, heard about it. Is it any good? It looked whack to me. It's like, why, uh, why are you doing this, Will? You know. uh, one, because he can. They paid $90 million, which is my point. Okay. Uh, I didn't think Bright was awful. I thought it was, you know, regular. You know, it's like Lethal Weapon. It's a fun flick, you know? Okay. But it's a two-hour feature film on Netflix. Wow. But if you look at Netflix's library, they have tons of movies like that. Some that were in theaters, they paid the marketing rights to, you know, the licensing rights to, right? And many of the films are their own thing. So we just saw the newest season of Black, uh, Black, uh, was it Black Mirror? Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. And as I'm watching this with my brother, we're looking at each other and like, what is this? What is this? I'm looking at this, and it's as good as any movie that I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. So, 
when I am asked, well, what do you think about should they make the jump to printing their own comics or should they go through a publisher? Mm-hmm. It's simply not 1995 anymore. It's not 1999. It's not 2000. We're at a point now where if you want to print your comic, there's a uh, field called the zine industry. Are you familiar with the zine industry? I remember zine back in the like 80s and 90s. Yeah, there's a zine industry now that's going where people print their own books in-house and they buy their books in-house. Okay. You take that and you just step that up just a few levels technologically, which mm-hmm. has been in existence for at least the last 15 years. We have the ability to create a product that is indistinguishable, virtually indistinguishable from quote unquote real books. Mm-hmm. Since I'm using the same technology to both draw, write the comics, and then to print the comics. I'm using the equivalent technology. Mm-hmm. Why then is there a need, and I'm not talking about you, I'm just talking about in general, because I do it too. Mm-hmm. Why is there, why do our brains make the distinction between what is professional and what is not when it's the same too? Does that wait make a sense? Minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that graphic novel that you're holding, a 120-page book, you print it and bound in-house? Well, in this particular case, I printed it completely in-house, laid it out in-house. I do use an outside bin, uh, 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 binder for the moment. Okay. But eventually, okay. within the next six months, I'm going to completely bind in-house as well. Wow. But I'm that's saying, so beautiful. But that's just for square bound books. I can already do... Uh, 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 Sat- yeah, see? Maggie's Ro- Rocket uh, 2018 calendar. The manuscript is already laid out. This is going to be premiering at the Schomburg, uh Black Comic Book Day. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I'm saying don't worry about pro, what's pro, what's not pro. Mm-hmm. Master P made his music sold it out of the trunk of a car. Right. I think everybody can say he did pretty good, right? Pretty good, yeah. Multi-millionaire, yeah. Same thing. It's, it's The options are available to all of us. It's like, yes, I get it. Look, I want to be loved, too. Right. And, it, you know, I have to be honest. If someone said, Tim, would you like to draw Superman? I would have to say yes. Okay. Because Superman is my favorite of those type of characters. Mm-hmm. That's my... I'm sorry. I know it's crazy, but I love Superman. I love Superman. I love Batman too, but Superman is that's the one. Right. Because the story is more romantic. You right. know what I mean? You know what I mean? I love Superman. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I'm gonna do some Maddie's Rocket over here. I'm gonna do some Infinitum, which is my upcoming graphic novel. Okay. I'm gonna do that because now I don't have to fight. To, I don't have to constantly lobby to get my book published. Mm-hmm. It's a long time in my career to do that. I don't do that now. I have to do, do, do whatever I want. And I love it. It's beautiful. And anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you have a story, I don't care when you think it sucks. I don't care if someone else around you thinks it sucks. If you love it, and you like it, get that artwork done, get yourself a page limit. Write your story, draw your story, and print it. Hmm. And print it. And who likes it will like it, and who won't like it, you ain't worried about it. You weren't going to sell it to them anyway. Right, right, right. Beautiful, beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been having uh, the pleasure of listening to Mr. Tim Fielder, uh, a visionary, a, a comic artist, and... Um, if you want to, if, if, if folk want to find uh, you on social media, Tim, what do they do? Yeah, uh, for Twitter, it's at DieselFunkSTU. For some reason, there wasn't enough time or room to put studio on the end of it. So <laughs> uh, maybe they'll change that Twitter. So on Twitter, it's DieselFunkSTU. For uh, Facebook, it's simply DieselFunk Studios for the DieselFunk Show, the DieselFunk Show. Uh, of course, I'm on fa- uh, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Tim Fielder. For Instagram, is Diesel Funk. <laughs> no, it's, it's mostly Diesel Funk. It's, it's pretty much Diesel Funk. Uh, for my website, is www.dieselfunk.com. For the Diesel Funk show, is dieselfunkshow.com. It's everything Diesel Funk, man. 
It's all diesel. And uh, for, if we want to buy the book, we go to dieselfunkstore.com. You can go to dieselfunk.com or you can go to dieselfunkstore.com. Just make sure you click on the store link. That's it. Mr. Tim Fielder, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you. Let me take a moment. Thank you, Jonathan. You didn't have to do this. I really appreciate it. Yo, family, I hope y'all enjoy that interview as much as I enjoy bringing it to you. This is Jonathan Soul speaking with you now. Of course, you can go to JonathanSoul.com for more episodes. You can uh, subscribe there. You can also subscribe on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. Follow me on Twitter, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-O-U-L, on Instagram. And, of course, if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll see where I do videos uh, reviewing the comics. Uh, the thing about comics is it's not just for collectors or, or enthusiasts of the art form like myself. It's about getting your kids to read again. You know, C. Tick Run is boring as hell, but when they see Bangs at Pow and they're black characters, that's a whole world of difference. Uh, also, family, you can support the channel by going to Amazon or, or my site and picking up my novel, my sci-fi novel, Malcolm Mars. I love you guys. Hope all your dreams come true. See you next Sunday here on Jonathan Soul. Peace.